All right. Um, I want to invite you all to please rise for the reading of God's word. Our sermon text this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. I'm going to give us the two verses right before it uh, when I start reading, though. That won't be on your screen. It says, uh, if you remember last week, Robert preached on the feeding of the 5,000. So uh, Jesus feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And it says, after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And here's our text. When evening came... His disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then... They were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. In this passage, we see that Jesus can be terrifying. Jesus, in the fullness of his glory and his power, is a frightening image. And that's the image that John gives us here uh, in this little passage in John chapter 6. And it almost feels out of place knowing where it falls in the story. Right before this, he feeds the 5,000. Right after this, he talks about, you know, he feeds 5,000 with a few loaves, loaves of bread. And then right after this, he says, I am the bread of life. It's kind of this perfect unit, the miracle and then the explanation of the miracle. But all of a sudden, in the middle of that, John gives us this. These five verses where Jesus casually walks across the surface of the water. And, oh yeah, by the way, he scares the disciples to death in the process. So why is this here? What is it all about? Why is this stuck right in between these two halves of the story? Well, the message is simple, honestly. The message is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the sovereign king over all creation. John wants you to see that he is not just a magic bread maker or some kind of healer, or even a great wise teacher, but he is over everything. And that means he's over you, and he's over me. Now that might sound scary, especially if you don't know Jesus. But what I want you to see this morning is that the truth is just the opposite. What is really scary is a life lived without Christ on the throne. So, three points that we're going to get from these verses. The first one is this. You don't make Jesus king. He is king. The second is, if he is king, then it means you aren't. 
And finally, you still have to let him in the boat. So here we go. You don't make Jesus king. He is king. The setup for the passage, I read those couple of verses because I think it helps us understand what's going on. Jesus just finished doing this amazing miracle, feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread. And you can imagine those people, they're amazed. They are astonished by this display. How did he do that? What kind of guy is this? How, what, a, what an efficient guy <laughs> that he could feed all of these crowds with just a little bit of food. And they said, look at what he can do. You know what? We should put him in charge. We should make him the king, and then he could do this kind of stuff all the time. And it says, Jesus, verse 15, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It should not surprise us that Jesus did not want to become the king of Galilee. That's where that miracle took place. It shouldn't surprise you that he wanted no part in being the king of Galilee, right? It'd be like saying to Tom Brady, hey, Tom, you can come and be the captain of my high school football team, right? It's a nice gesture, for sure. But he's on a different level. Or it might be like saying to the sitting president, hey, you can come and be the mayor of Mooresville, right? Well, thanks, but I'm kind of already the president of the whole country. I don't need to be the mayor of Mooresville, well, these people, they're doing that. They're trying to make Jesus the king of their nation, but he is already the Lord of all creation. That's, right, that's the only explanation for the miracle we read. That's the only thing that makes sense. If he can walk on water, if he can control the wind and the waves, well, then clearly he is in control of all creation, right? So, at this point, in the Gospel of John, we're in, what, chapter 6 now. We've been preaching on it for a few months with a little bit of a break for Easter. But hopefully you can remember just how many miraculous signs we have already read about. Can anybody remember there was, what, turning water into wine, healing the paralyzed man? What else? What am I forgetting? Feeding 5,000, that just happened, right? There's a bunch. The point is, there's a bunch. We've seen a lot of these signs. But what we haven't seen, what, or what it has not happened yet, is people still don't really understand who Jesus is. They don't know the purpose of these signs. Now, John tells us in his book what the purpose is. Remember, we've, we've read it. We've titled our sermon series about it. It says, these things, these signs are written... So that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. These signs are to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, up to this point, people still, they don't really get the picture. They don't recognize who it is that just fed the 5,000. They don't get, even the disciples, they don't get who it is standing right beside them. They think, wow, this guy, he's, he, he could really help out our politics. <laughs> This guy could really fix things up in Galilee. And it's not just the crowds, right? I said it's the disciples. It's the people who are with him day in and day out. They still don't really comprehend 
who Jesus is. They don't understand what Jesus is teaching about himself. And so, we get to our passage, and the disciples, they leave the shore after he has fed 5,000 people. And they get in their boat, and they start to cross over the lake. And then Jesus puts on this display. In those five verses where we just read, Jesus, do you realize, in this moment, he pulls back the curtain, and he gives them a glimpse of just how powerful he really is. Can you imagine the scene? Can you, I mean, we're lake people, right? We've been on lakes before, some of us more often than others, <laughs> but we've been out on the lake. Have you ever been in a situation when, when you're out on the lake at night, and you just didn't plan on being out on the lake at night? It gets dark. Maybe the water is a little choppy. That's what happened here, right? All of a sudden, there's a tornado warning. <laughs> the water starts to get really rough. They're miles into the middle of this large lake. And remember, this is before electricity. There's no lights on the boat, right? This is before motors. They're stuck out there. They are, they are scared. They are realizing, oh, man, we have, we have made a huge mistake. Struggling for, for, for their lives, feeling afraid. And then all of a sudden, they turn and, ah! There is a person standing on the water, right? Talk about a jump scare. Can you imagine? And then, you know, the other day this happened to me in my driveway. Melissa, I'll tell you, right? I came home and I pulled in. I don't know what I was doing, checking some emails on my phone in the car. And I turned and she's standing at the window. Scared, the, scared me. <laughs> scared me. She laughed. She thought it was hilarious. But then I said, oh, it's just Melissa. What did they say? Ah, it's just a person standing on the top of the water. There's no relief. It's just more frightening, terrifying. What is happening? It says it right there, right? They were frightened when they saw him. And Jesus' next words, that's what is really striking. He says, it is I. The Greek words back there, maybe you've heard this before, are ego eimi. Now, in Greek, that's a perfectly normal way to say it is I. That's how you say it. That's, those are the words required to say it is I. But in the context of scripture, those words are extremely significant. Those two words, ego eimi, it is I are packed with significance, meaning, throughout the scriptures. Those are the same words, do you know, that, that Moses heard from the burning bush when he asked, who should I tell them sent you? In Greek, it is, I am sent you. He said, ego eimi. It is I. These are the same words that Jesus uses in two chapters from now when he really gets the religious leaders upset with him because he tells them that before Abraham was, ego eimi, I am. Before Abraham was, I was around. So do you understand, in this moment, this terrifying moment in the boat, these disciples afraid for their lives, Jesus approaches them 
controlling the wind and the waves, waltzing across a raging sea. And they hear his familiar voice say, I am. Do not be afraid. How could they possibly miss the significance of that? Or perhaps a better question is, what would that have meant to them in the moment? What kind of world-changing sentence would that have been for them? That would have made everything different, right? That would have completely reframed what was happening to them in that moment and who it was that they had been spending their days with up till that point. These guys, they just saw Jesus kind of slink away when the crowds were about to make him king. But now, the reality is staring them straight in the face on top of the water. They realize you can't make him king because he's the king already. He is the Lord. Ego, a me. He is the great I am. And so that brings us to our second point, which is, if he is the king, then that means you aren't. If he is the king, then it means you aren't. If Jesus is the I am, then he must be the Lord of creation and the Lord of your life. But lordship is exactly the thing that we struggle with the most. Lordship is the hardest thing for us to give him, isn't it? You know, there was a time in my life when I honestly believed that I was a go-with-the-flow kind of person. That, you know, whatever life threw at me, I was happy to kind of go where, where I was led. You know, I would, let, I would let other people make the plans and I'd be happy to go along with it. And then I got married, <laughs> and I learned that I am a go-with-the-flow kind of person, as long as it's my own flow. <laughs> I'm happy to go with my flow. It turns out what I really want to do is be the captain of the ship. What I really want to do is know what's happening and when. That's why I keep a schedule. That's why I have a to-do app on my phone. That's why I have a physical calendar that breaks things down by the hour. <laughs> because I like to know what's happening. And when I have plans, I don't want those plans to be changed. And if they're going to be changed, well, folks, I need some warning. I need to get prepared. You know, some of our most uh, spicy early marriage arguments <laughs> were, were about just this. My difficulty dealing with changes to my plans. If Melissa called and needed me to come home, maybe to help out with one of our infant children in the middle of the day, and I had my day laid out and things I needed to do, it was a painful thing for me to stop and go home. I told her along the way that I have discovered that I'm like a, a large ship with a very small rudder. Right? I can change. I can turn. I can adjust course. But I just need a lot of lead in. <laughs> I need to get prepared. But of course, that's not how marriage works. 
right? Marriage requires you to give up some control. And you know what else does? Ministry requires it, right? Pretty much the only thing you can count on in ministry is that the unexpected is going to happen, right? Things aren't going to go according to your plans because guess what? God is in charge, not me. What about you? Where do you struggle with control? Do you feel like you need to be in control? Maybe here's some more self-assessment questions. How do you deal with the unexpected? How do you deal with your plans being changed? How do you deal with others when they mess up the plans you had? Do those types of things rub you the wrong way? Do they make you angry? What is that all about? What is really behind that anger? What is behind that frustration? Well, it's an issue of lordship. That's what it is. At the deep root of all those problems is a question of lordship. Who's in control? In the church, Christians, if you're a Christian here, we do this a lot. We often profess a theology that says Jesus is Lord, but we live day to day like we are. Remember those bumper stickers, right? Jesus is my co-pilot, right? That's how we think of him. We all know that's a dumb bumper sticker now, but we still think of him that way, don't we? He's in the passenger seat. And maybe he'll chime in on occasion, maybe with a suggestion here or there. A helpful assistant, whenever we need him. But this passage, it doesn't leave any room for that kind of thinking. Right? Jesus is not the co-pilot. He's the creator of the skies. He's not the co-pilot. He is the creator of the land that we drive on. And yet, how often do we live our lives like little lords? Planning our days, managing our little kingdoms, and simply expecting Jesus to rubber stamp our plans. I think we do it a lot more than we are willing to admit. Otherwise, why would we be so bent out of shape when things don't go our way? Why would we be upset when people interfere with our way of doing things? Why do we get so bummed out about bad weather, even? Or when our sickness makes us have to miss a trip we plan to take? We throw tantrums when life doesn't go the way we expected. When we don't achieve the things that we'd hoped to achieve. And why do we do that? I think you know. It's because we believe that really we are the king. Even though life is constantly proving the opposite, right? We act like we're the king, but life proves that that's not the case. Proverbs, it says, many are the plans of a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
The horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. What do those two verses say? Well, they say God is in control. That's the message of those verses. God is in control. And since God is in control, pretending like we are in control is only going to cause you pain. It's only going to result in a disaster for you. Think about it. What's at the root of that anxiety that you have? What's behind those fears that are consuming your thoughts? What has you so worried today? Doesn't that all come at the end of the day from an inability to trust God's lordship in your life? Doesn't it come from our lack of faith that we don't believe that he is a good father and that he's in charge? Of course that's where it's come from. Of course that's what's at the, the root of it. Our anxiety, our worry, our fear, all of those things, we make us believe that it's up to us. You know, I, I don't know what it is that you feel like is up to you, but, but whatever the it is in your life, that's, you think it's up to me. It might be your financial well-being. Maybe it's your children's success in life. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your career goals. No matter what it is, here's the point. When you live as the Lord, you actually end up enslaved to the things of the world. You can't truly control those things. You can't truly lord over those things. And so what happens is they lord over you. So you think the picture of Jesus standing on the water is scary. <laughs> You think that's frightening. Well, what's really frightening is to think that you're being controlled by the very things you are trying to control. And you're not just harming yourself, but if you think about it, if you pause and look, you'll realize you're actually harming the people around you as well. But there's hope. See, when we come to Jesus as Lord, when we finally get to that point where we see the mistake we're making, we take our little paper crowns and we put them at his feet and we finally admit, these things aren't mine. These things are yours. My kids are yours. My money is yours. My job, even the very life in my body, it all belongs to you. When you finally get to that moment where you can bow, when you can loosen your grip on those things, what you're going to find is this. He is a much better Lord than you are. He is much better at being in control than you are. And you're, you know what else you're going to find? You're going to find there's actually joy. And there is freedom. And there is redemption that comes when you give up trying to control that thing you're most afraid of. In fact, it's the only way. Because if he's the king... You aren't. You can't be. It's a hopeless effort. So, that means we have to let him in the boat. 
This last one's a little tricky. Because you and I both know that there is a way to live as a Christian that acknowledges everything I just said. There's a way to live where you know all about Jesus's power. Where you know all about Jesus's authority. Where you know all about his lordship. You can quote the verses. Psalm 50, it says, Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And you know that. And you even believe it. But only from a distance. You know it up here. I just went to a conference this week that exhausted me completely. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a great conference. And when I walked in the door, they took a measuring tape. And they measured the distance from my brain to my heart. Whatever it was, I don't know, 14 inches, something like that. And they, they asked me when I walked in the door, before they would let me into the meeting space, they said, are you willing to commit over the next 48 hours to go those 14 inches? Are you willing to make this move from your head down to your heart? When I say that you need to let Jesus in the boat, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Moving beyond a head knowledge and letting Jesus get to work in those deep places in your life. These guys in the boat were frightened. They had just seen a, an amazing miracle take place, not but a few hours before this. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 people. They knew his power. They had witnessed his power. They didn't have any doubt that he was powerful. But that was then. Now they are in the middle of a storm. They are about to sink. They're terrified. What has you most frightened today? What terrifies you? Maybe it's the fear of some secret sin being exposed. Maybe it's the fear of your own anger. Maybe it's failure that has you terrified. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's death that scares you the most. What is it? Uh, think about it. Wherever you're sitting, right now, just take a moment and search your heart. What is it that, that scares you the most? Letting Jesus into your boat means taking that fear and putting it at the foot of the cross. It means taking that fear and trusting that he can control even that part of your life. Letting Jesus into the boat means you have to stop pretending and you have to believe. You have to stop simply looking at Jesus standing over there in his power and authority commanding the wind and the waves and you need to let him 
command your life and your heart. What would it be like for you to do that today? Maybe it would mean practically that that there's something you need to share with somebody else. Maybe you need to tell somebody about that sin you're terrified of coming out. Maybe there's something you need to confess to the Lord. Maybe you just need to have a conversation and say, I've really struggled to do this and I need you to help me. Because I see that my life is full of fear here, 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 and here. Pray for me. I'm going to be honest with you all, the congregation. I'm the pastor here. But I really battle with this. I struggle to trust Jesus sometimes. If I'm being honest with you all, I'm really wounded. I've been hurt deeply by people who I thought I could trust. People who I loved. I've been hurt deeply by church. And I get it. When you're hurt, it's hard to give up control. It's hard to trust because, well, that, that makes you vulnerable. That makes you exposed. If you give up control of this one little thing, well, what could happen if it doesn't turn out the way you like? What's going to happen to me? But I can promise you one thing. If you give up control to Jesus, he will not harm you. The one thing, this powerful king, this Lord of all creation, the one thing he will not do is leave you worse off. A pastor said to me this week that our sin blinds us, it binds us, and it grinds us. It blinds us, it binds us, and it grinds us. Does anybody know that feeling? Anyone ever had sin blind them to the harm it was doing in their lives? Have you ever had sin bind you and overpower you so that you were doing the things that you don't want to do? Have you ever had sin grind you down so you feel like you're just worn out and weary and hopeless? Like you're just done. I know you have. I have. So. If that's what our sin does. What are we going to do about it? Striving to be the Lord. Of your own life. Striving to control your own life. That's what it does. It blinds you. It binds you. It grinds you. Are you worn out? Well, let him in the boat. You know what? Don't just let him in the boat. Fall into his arms. He won't hurt you. He won't wound you anymore. That's what the cross is all about, right? He was wounded so that you can be healed. Put all that stuff you've been holding on to down at his feet. Trust him. He can handle it a lot better than you can.
And then, when you do that, let him lead you where he wants you to go. Let him lead you into a life full of joyful surrender, regardless of the circumstances, whether you're on solid ground or in the middle of the storm. Let him, the Prince of Peace, lead you where you need to go. He can take you all the way home. The last verse says, Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We have set ourselves up as little lords. And we have gathered these little kingdoms around us. But they're killing us. And it's all a farce. God, I pray that today we would lay them down before you. That we would trust you. That we would surrender to you and let you be in control of even the things that we are most afraid of. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.